Well, today we are back to the story. For those of you who might be new with us, the story is essentially a chronological overview of the entire Bible. And people are uh, really appreciating it because it, it puts it into context. It helps them understand the flow of what's called God's upper story. Let me just recap really briefly. Um, God created the earth, and then God put Adam and Eve on the earth. He created them that he might be in relationship with us. That, uh, that immediately should boggle the mind of most people. Why God would want that, but he did, because he got, he's a God of love, and he wanted us to love him in return. He wanted relationship between himself and people. That includes you, and that includes me. And uh, what happened, though, pretty early is that Adam and Eve sinned, and um, the human race fell. And uh, the separation happened with God in terms of a relationship, which was far from what he wanted, of course. But ever since Adam and Eve sinned, human beings have had sinful nature within them. All of us who were descended from them inherit sin the sinful nature. It's a natural predisposition to do what's wrong when we're often faced with the possibility so while God's upper story carries on, God is moving in powerful ways. He put a plan in place and he formed the nation of Israel from Abraham and Sarah. And then, you know, the, 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 the 12 sons of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel created this nation and they went to the promised land. And essentially, that's where we're at in the story. Last time we were together, we were finishing off with the story of King David. He finally became king. People underestimated. People thought he'd never be the one, but he was God's choice. And everything was going famously, you know, things were going incredibly well until we get to chapter 12 in the story, 2 Samuel over chapter 11. And in this part of the story where we touch down again into the lower story of human beings who are living in the upper story of God, uh, we see the sinful nature played out pretty profoundly uh, in David's experience. The upper story is never thwarted. It keeps on going. But like... The people who lived on the lower story, we live on the lower story still, and our, their story resonates with our story. There are such incredible similarities. We're learning from them as we go. So I'm going to read to you uh, in a minute a, a portion of the story of King David. He has become king. Everything is going remarkably well. He has expanded the borders of the nation of Israel dramatically. He is a successful king. The, ki the kingdom is established, it's growing not only geographically, but in power and in wealth. God is blessing this man and his leadership in remarkable ways. Until we get to chapter 12. And I want to read to you, it is uh, 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5, uh, what happens. And it's this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of, the, of uh, Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Um, David fell off the rails. He committed adultery uh, with a woman who was not his wife. And he himself, of course, 
was married. I mean, this man uh, who we've looked at and, and seen such incredible godliness and seen God used in such remarkable ways, he just falls off the rails. The sinful nature rears its ugly head and he does what's wrong. Um, it's really important to note as, as we look at this text uh, that he is actually in the wrong place at the wrong time. Did you notice when it says at the, at the time when kings go off to war, he sent his general Joab out and it says that uh, he remained in Jerusalem. There is intention in those words, the way this story is written. Um, he wasn't in the place he should have been as the king of Israel fulfilling his duty. Um, and because of it, in large measure, uh, he sins. He, he sees this woman bathing and, 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 and he sends for her and they sleep together. Uh, he sins before the God who has blessed him so much and who has been faithful to him. And as if that wasn't enough, he moves from adultery to murder. Let me read this story to you. So David sent the word to Joab, his general, send Uriah the Hittite, that's Bathsheba's husband. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how uh, Joab was and how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home, so he asked Uriah, why uh, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in, op in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. <laughs> See what David is doing to the extent that he is able. He's trying to manipulate his underhanded, but he's trying, to, he's trying to make things look obviously as if David had gone and slept with his wife and that he, Uriah, was the father. He's trying to cover things up. Um, and essentially, Uriah is just unwilling to cooperate. And then this is what David does as a result. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah as he went back to war, of course. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front of the fighting, uh, in, where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so, I will, uh, so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege. He put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. You know, we have to recognize, you can't get around it. This is, this is murder. This is an intentional killing of another being using the power that was at David's disposal. And I want to tell you, this murder is despicable. Never mind the adultery. The murder is, it's sinister, and here's why. Uriah was one of the faithful soldiers of David and had been for many years. Remember, David was in the wilderness, and, and the king at the time, Saul, sought him and was trying to kill him because he realized that David had been anointed to become king, and, and Saul had come to hate David because he was so popular with the people. For 15 years, they were in the wilderness. Uriah was one of his faithful guard. He fought for David. He put his life on the line for David. He, he was loyal and, and he was faithful. And in this instance, he's acting with honor and with dignity. And you can't read the story without comparing the two men. 
What's David in comparison? He's unfaithful. He's disloyal. He's not acting with dignity. What he does is despicable to his long time and faithful friend. This is really awful stuff that David, God's king, engages with. Um, and what David does is, you know, just try to cover it all up. After Uriah is killed, he, he marries Bathsheba. He's probably at that place where he thinks, you know, I got this covered, I've handled it. But I want to tell you, as is always the case, God saw his sin. God knew. And I want to tell you, this is probably the most important thing I'll say today. God loved David too much to leave him in his sin. Do you know that? Even in spite of what he had done, in spite of his unfaithfulness, in spite of the despicable thing he did, God loved this man too much to leave him where he was. So God sends his prophet, uh, his spokesperson to David. The man's name was Nathan. Let me read this to you. Um, I'm not quoting the texts enough, am I? Are you with me, James? All right. Um, this, this is the ministry of Nathan. The, the, the thing that God told Nathan to do, Nathan the prophet did. It says this, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. You know, the reality is that sometimes it's a whole lot easier to see sin in other people and it's really, really hard to see it in ourselves. <laughs> and, 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 and essentially what follows this is this stunning interaction between Nathan and David because Nathan then speaks these words. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Can you imagine being there in that moment? <laughs> Can you imagine the shock that must have taken over David in that experience as he realized that he had done far more than to kill a lamb and to, and, and to take it from its owner, if you would? And he realized the enormity of what he had, he had done. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel and I, I delivered you into the hand from the hand of Saul, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and, and Judah. And if, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what, was, what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Oh, boy. <laughs> what was going on in the heart and the mind of David. See, what happens is that God sends his spokesperson. Prophets spoke the word of God in that day. We now have it in scripture, but God sent his word into the experience of King David, and, and, it, and it became like a mirror to him so that he could see what he couldn't see before. 
And I, I want to tell you, my friends, just by the way, that is what the Word of God will do to us on a regular basis. If we'll read it in an ongoing fashion, it will allow us to see ourselves in a different light. It will identify sin in our lives that we can't see on our own. It's part of its incredible value. It's part of the gift of God to us. Well, what happens, what follows is, I want to tell you, it is absolutely remarkable. And, and we'll play this out in, in more detail as we go. But having been confronted by Nathan, what does David do? He confesses. He says, and I'll read the text. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You know what most kings would have done in that day? How dare you speak to me in that fashion? Who are you to speak with such insolence to your king? Off with his head. Like literally, that, that would have been normal in the day, but there is something in this man, and we've seen it before, and we'll see it again, of character, and ultimately at a deep level, there's a righteousness, and there, there's, a, there's a goodness in him that God has formed. And he had the capacity to see that God was speaking into his life and to admit what he had done. And even to recognize that his sin was not first and foremost against Bathsheba or Uriah. It was then against the God of heaven. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. You know, what, what follows in the, in the story sequence is David's written confession of his sin. It's Psalm 51, and I'm going to read a portion of it to you. Well, I want you to notice, just by the way, slight aside, this is what the story is really all about. We're following the historic development of the people of God. And what, we, what, what the, the story book does is take comments from the Psalms that are, that are you know, written elsewhere and uh, ministry of the prophets that are written elsewhere, and, and it plunks it into the place in the story that it actually belongs. All right? That's what this story uh, book and, and campaign really is all about. But listen to what David writes from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your infinite love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. He knows what he needs to do. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He's saying, God, I get it. I was wrong. You're right as you look at me. The way you think is right and good. What I have done was wrong. I confess my sin before you. Surely I was sinful at birth. He takes a step beyond his actual, referring to his actual actions, and now he's talking about who he is. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. And then this cry, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Oh God. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. You, God, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know why? Because I can't do it on my own. What a powerful, powerful statement from King David based on the confrontation of the prophet of God in that day. Um, I want to tell you that sort of confession and, and conviction is a real gift of God to us because it drew David back to the place in his relationship with God that he needed to be. 
But I want to point out another element in this story that is so, so important to consider, and it is this. Sin always has its consequence. Did you know that? We can be forgiven completely by the Lord, but sin has its consequence. This is what, da what Nathan says to David. Um, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Um, Out of your household I am going to bring calamity. Before your eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will... Oh, I'm sorry. They're right. I'm going to go back up a little bit. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. It's like... What is the prophet saying? What is being spoken of here? Well, I want to tell you in, in practical terms, you know, when, uh, as opposed to everything that happens before this, when everything is going up and to the right, everything is getting better and better and better for King David and for, for Israel. From this point forward throughout the rest of his reign, everything goes down and to the right. Things don't get better, they get worse. And a lot of things happen. Let me just briefly define some of the things. Number one, the child that was conceived out of adultery dies, and David grieves profoundly if you read the story. Then as, as time goes by, um, uh, Amnon, who is a child of David, actually rapes his stepsister um, Tamar. And David doesn't do anything about it, which is a failing. Uh, Tamar's full brother, Absalom, it becomes incredibly angry and bitterness sets into that young man's soul and in time he leads a rebellion against David and David has to flee for his life. That's when Absalom takes David's wives and sleeps with them publicly, openly, as the prophet predicted. Well, in time, battles, of course, uh, are, are had and David regains the throne, but in the process, Absalom is killed. It, despite David's order that he not be killed, Joab, the general kind of had a bit, a bit of a different slant on what should happen, and that's what happened. David grieves the loss of his son deeply, deeply, deeply. He loved him in spite of what he had done. And so the story goes. Um, sometimes, my friends, sin sets a sequence of events in motion that are just really hard to stop. There are consequences of our sin. You know, there is so much I want to teach you from this, this story. That's, that's essentially the capturing of the story that we're going to look at today. I want to tell you, I could preach you a dozen sermons out of this stuff. Someday maybe I will, right? But I want to capture some of the big picture dynamics for we who live in the lower story, for we who struggle with sin, for we who do sin sometimes despicably ourselves, for we who love God at the heart of who we are but still can't be faithful because of the power of the flesh the New Testament calls us the power of sin that's at work within us, number one. I want you to understand the power of sin. If you haven't thought about it before, take a moment and think about it. Even a good and godly man like David fell into it and was consumed by it. Sin is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, never assume... Never assume that you won't fall into it either. Um, 
As a matter of fact, what I want you to do, what I, the way I want you to live your life as a follower of Jesus who longs for holiness and, and sexual purity in particular and, and a desire to honor God with your life and live with a person of character and faithfulness before the Lord is assume that in the right circumstances, you too will fall into sin. David was in the wrong place. He should have been at war. He shouldn't have been on that palace roof looking at other men's wives. But he was in the wrong place. And if he had done what he was responsible for and what God called him to, he wouldn't have been there in the first place. What we have to do is not get ourselves into the wrong place where sin is likely. If you're dating before you're married, don't go away for a weekend together. Like, it doesn't take too long to figure that one out. You know? If your teenager is dating, hang out with a bunch of people that you know and love. Hang out with your friends so that you can maintain a sexual purity. Don't find yourself alone in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because sin is powerful. If you're married and you are attracted to someone else, and listen, it happens all the time. Guys, you've got hormones. Duh. Like, I mean, I don't need to say that, right? But sometimes it needs acknowledged. And just because you're married to person A doesn't mean you're, you're not going to be attracted to person B. And it happens in the other direction, right, ladies? It does. What are you going to do with that? I want to I tell you what you do with that is be incredibly careful because sin is powerful in the wrong place and in the wrong time. You can fall just like King David did. And set a sequence of, 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 of experiences in motion which are destructive and are painful and are hard to deal with. You know, we, we, we have to just be very aware to, to, about the power of sin and to not get into the wrong place where sin can easily happen. You know, I'm going to say this. Teenagers, there are a lot of parties going on in this world where there's a ton of incredibly ungodly stuff going on. Is that really the place you want to be? A place where you can really easily fall into sin because it's normal and it's common. Is that really where you want to be? And conversely, can I say this to all of us, let's get ourselves into the right place where we are with people who share a conviction that we have so we can support one another and encourage each other as the scripture says. So number one, watch, watch where you are. And be faithful to God, following him, being responsible before him, <clears throat> entering into your commitments and, in, and into your calling as a believer, first and foremost. Get yourself into the right place. Number two, <clears throat> when things are going really well in your life, that is when we, my friends, need to be most careful about the power of sin. <clears throat> the time that you think it's highly unlikely that you're going to sin is probably the time that you will. You know, the proverb says, and tell me if you know it, what, I'm going to say, blank comes before the fall. What comes before the fall? Pride. It's a well-known verse, right? You think you're okay. You think you're standing strong. You think, oh, I can handle this place, this circumstance. I want to tell you, that's pride, and pride so often leads to people falling into sin. Don't assume you can handle it because sin is powerful. And quite frankly, my friends, we're not that powerful without the enablement of the Spirit of God to help us overcome something that's more powerful than we are. Pride comes before the fall. When things are going really well, be most careful. Number three, I want to talk to you about the progressive nature of sin. <clears throat> Did you see how it unfolded in David's life? David was in the wrong place. We've dealt with that. Then what happened? He saw Bathsheba. 
My friends, I want to tell you, we need to be really, really careful <laughs> in recognizing what sin follows from. And what sin often follows from is what we see. Have you thought about that before? If we, if we don't see the potential for sin, it's not likely that we're going to go there. If David hadn't seen Bathsheba, would he have had uh, adult, committed adultery with her? No. So we have to be really, really careful. And I want to say this from my heart to yours. Be careful what you look at and what you see. If you want sexual purity in your life, because that's in one way what this text is most particularly written about, although this applies to all areas of our lives and certainly of temptation and sins. But if you want to be uh, sexually pure before God, be careful what you watch on the big screen, on the TV, the small screen, on the computer screen. I think so many times people are proud about this. Oh, I can watch that. It's not going to have impact on me. And I have found I'm in a generation of believers who aren't careful anymore about what they see, quite frankly. Um, because after sight, then came temptation. And the first aspect of temptation was desire. It would have been lust, of course. Um, and following temptation came an idea, the, the, the desire, came an idea. Oh, I got to get to know more about this woman. She's a good-looking woman, and I'm the king, right? And he found out about her, and after the thought produced, was produced in terms of, I need to know more, then, of course, came the interaction and the adultery. There is a progression from one step to the next to the next in the life of King David, and it's clearly taught to us in Scripture that we need to think about and be really careful with. We are careful about what we see, number one. And then we recognize what's happening if indeed we find ourselves in that sequence. Anybody there now? Anybody living with a secret sin in their life and you think nobody knows? Well, I got to tell you, God knows. The secret, uh, sin is never secret, ever, ever secret. Because God knows. And if, if you're in the sequence, where are you in the sequence? Let me ask you this question. Where is the most dangerous place to be in the sequence? It's at the end of it. And where is it most likely, where is the easiest, where temptation can be rejected? Well, it's at the beginning of it. It's when we see, first of all, the possibilities. It is then, my friends, then build this into your life. Build this into your experience of sin and temptation and overcoming temptation by the power of God. It's when you see it that you need to step back from it. Right then, deal with it. And if you've gone farther into the sequence, I want you to know now is the time to say no. Now is the time to take action to move away from that sequence which is leading you ultimately to, to sin before God, but also consequences in your life that you just don't want. And your spouse doesn't want, and your children don't want, and your friends don't want, and so on it goes. I want to say this to you. Sin always will cost us more than we're willing to pay. Don't be fooled. Don't play with it. Don't think that you're strong enough to deal with it. Don't ever think that no one knows. Because that's just nonsense. 
Sin will have its consequences, and they'll be real, and they'll be powerful. Jesus said, walk in the light as, as I am in the light, or it says, walk in the light as he is in the light. And that, that, that gives reference to the reality that if we will just live in faithfulness and obedience to God, that we will know, you know, one thing is eternal life. We don't, we don't have eternal life because of the way we live, but once we're saved, there's this quality of life, there's this abundance of life, Jesus called it also, that is superior to all other ways of living, so Scripture teaches. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Most of the world isn't in that place. Most of the world says, well, you, you party like the rest of us. You're going to have the best life. You, you do what you want to do. You follow your, your desires. You're going to have the best life. That is biblically utter nonsense. The Bible teaches in such incredible clarity that if we will follow Jesus, we will be the most blessed people faithfully. We will be the most blessed people in the world. That's what David, of course, was asking for. Uh, in Psalm 52. But let me read this to you. It's in the text, again, uh, page 163. I believe it's Psalm 32. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Nope, I read the wrong stuff. Boy, I'm just not on today, am I, guys? Sorry. It's dramatic, though, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, Blessed is the one, poor James, poor James. You know, you get brownie points today, buddy. Hang in there with me, okay? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Did you hear it? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. David knows what it's like to be there. Through, all, through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, in conviction. My strength was sapped as in the summer, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. <clears throat> it says this, therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising uh, of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Many are the woes of the wicked. Hear it? What are the w wicked experience? Woes. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you're righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. I want to tell you in so many places of the Bible, here included, we're told if we will just learn to live in obedience to the word of God. Let it be our authority. Hear what God says through it, just like Nathan once spoke into David's life. Let the word of God speak into our lives and we'll find life and joy, rejoicing in the goodness of God. We will live that life in relationship with God and fellowship with God that brings our humanity to the fore and we will become what he has created to be, us to become. We'll experience it. Learn the lesson. And then lastly, Point number four, I want us to think about Nathan and I want us to think about accountability. I've said it before, sin is never secret because God always knows. And I want to tell you this, like David, he loves us too much to leave us in our sin. You know, God loves you that much. He's never just going to say, oh, well, let him go, let him drift off, let him live the life they're choosing out of their you know, out of, their, out of the power of sin and out of their 
desires and faulty thinking. He'll never do that to you if you're his. He loves you too much. And what God does is act. In one way or another, my friends, he brings us this blessing of conviction. Oh, very often, most often through the word of God, whether it's me speaking or someone else or whether you're reading scripture, all of a sudden the word of God becomes this mirror and we go, oh my goodness, I'm not, I'm not really lined up here with what God wishes for my life. I need to confess. And we're blessed. You know what the word Nathan literally means in Hebrew? Anybody know? It means gift. Jonathan, Yonatan, gift of God. But Nathan means gift. This man was a gift of God, of love and of blessing in David's life. Incredible, incredible. And well, I want to tell you, without, I know God is sovereign and he has chosen me and I will always be his. But I know if I was left on my, uh, on my own, I, I would drift into sin and it would take greater hold in my life and I would just drift away from God. But God's too good to let that happen in my life. And he comes along and he speaks by his word and I have learned increasingly I'm far from perfect to when I recognize sin and I confess it, move along into blessing. And I'm learning when I'm tempted by what I see to just shut it down. You know, I really like historical fiction and uh, that's what I read other than church theology, biblical stuff. And it's kind of a bit of an escape for me. Um, and I also really like watching historical fiction on television. And, uh, you know, there was this Netflix series I started to watch, and it was great. Just kind of, I love this stuff. Um, but I was about four, five episodes in, when I'm, and I said, <laughs> no, God said to me, Chris, too much sex, too much nudity, too much ungodliness being displayed before your eyes, and it's time for you to shut it down. And I go, but God, I really like the story. <laughs> and I really want to know what happens in the next episode. This just happened a month ago. Um, and God said, you decide. And he said to me, honestly, and I wasn't thinking about this sermon. He said, but you be careful. Because what you choose will determine your steps and your way forward. What you choose can potentially open your life to the power of sin, taking hold in your experience. And taking your life far from what I intend it to be. So sadly, I don't know what happens in episode five. <laughs> and, you know, I don't really care. Because, honestly, when it comes right down to it, what I deeply desire is holiness before God. And I hope that's the case with you, too. Um... So I want to I, I bring you to this reality of accountability. He, David was given a gift. He was given his Nathan. Um, and I want to ask you, do you have someone in your life who will play the role of Nathan when you need it? Do you have, someone, do you have a gift in your life who, will, who when he or she sees sin in your life that you can't see? And you're busy trying to cover it up and you, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, I've, I've got this taken care of and no one's going to know. And I can move forward and it's not that big a deal. When, do you have somebody in your life who has enough guts to come along and sit down and say, we need to have a cup of coffee because I love you and I care about you and I see this going on. And I don't know whether you see it or not, but somebody needs to talk to you because you're choosing the wrong way. I, I think probably most people don't. Most people don't. 
But my friends, there's something incredibly biblical about what I'm talking to you, right? It's here. And I would suggest to you that if you don't have that person and you were, you were someone who wants to take this faith like really seriously and you want to deepen in your experience of God and you want to encounter the full blessing of God in your life and you want to follow after Jesus with passion, not just, you know, tack Jesus onto your life as you do your thing. I suggest you find a guy if you're a guy and a woman if you're a woman and ask them to be your accountability partner. And give them permission to talk into your life when they feel you need to, when they feel, when you feel they need to. That's a really, really critical thing for us because essentially sin is too powerful and we can't do it on our own. Now, God will empower us. God will give us his spirit to be able to resist temptation. That's a given as we walk with him. But I think this is something else he has given us in the body of Christ as the body of Christ ministers to itself so the will of God is accomplished. Number two. I want to ask you, you, are you willing to receive accountability, confrontation in the way David was willing to receive it? You know, what he did was remarkable. It really was. One of the things that's really cool is you go to Hebrews chapter 11, David's listed there as one of the heroes of the faith. An adulterer and a despicable murderer is listed as one who is a hero of the faith? Why isn't King Saul there? He was sinful and broken just like David was. Why is he not in the list? Well, he's not in the list because he didn't respond to the confrontation of God the way that David did. This confession was remarkable, astounding, shocking that David received from his religious guy the word of God, which would then determine the the course the rest of his life. Where would David have gone? What trajectory would his life have taken if Nathan hadn't done what Nathan did and if he hadn't received the accountability, the confrontation in the way that he did? I want to tell you, my friends, we've got to figure this out now because when it happens, we're going to have a decision to make. And it won't always be easy. Natural temptation is to deny and, and all those sorts of things. Number one, do we have the person in place? Number two, are we willing to receive it? Oh, and by the way, by the way, would you be willing... At some point, if an elder came to you and said, listen, I want to sit down and talk. And, and that elder, he or she, confronted you about sin in your life. It's a role that elders are called to play in different places. I'm going to read to you uh, Galatians uh, 6.1. It says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, note the words, the power of sin is taken hold and we can't break free. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, other translations say you who are mature, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. If somebody has enough guts to come into your life, whether it be your accountability partner or an elder, it's the role of the elders to do this. We need it on occasion. You get it? David needed it. We need it at times. Will you receive it? Will you celebrate it in the end? Will you accept that ministry of God? Will you accept his gift? And then lastly, I want to ask you, you who are here, followers of Jesus, committed to him, passionate about living for him, will you exercise this gift? Will you become a Nathan? I want to tell you, and I I already have, I suppose, what Nathan did was really, really risky. And I have no doubt that he literally felt he was risking his life to do what he was about to do. When we offer this ministry to other people, it feels like a huge risk. 
And I'm here to ask you today, are you willing to risk friendship, reputation, etc., in order to do what God needs the people in your life, what he needs you to do for them? What he needs you to do for them. This is the body of Christ functioning in a way that will bring life and vitality and ultimately holiness to the people of God. Step in. That's how I want to finish today. I want to ask you to do something. You know, they say good preachers always leave people with something to do. I'm going to give you some options. <laughs> and you already know what they are. Anybody here who needs to move away from secrecy, confess their sin openly before God and repent? I think that's another one of those questions. Is like, duh, of course there are people here who need to confess their sin before God and repent. If God is speaking to you today by his spirit through this message, I implore you in the moment I'm about to give you to confess before God the way David did. Confess before God the way David did. Number two, um, will you, and if you haven't done it, will you establish accountability in your life? Jesus said, don't just be hearer of the word, but doers of it. Can you imagine if you took everything that the word of God spoke to you over the course of a year, whether it be through my preaching or others preaching, or you're experiencing the word of God in your own home personally, and that mirror is held up to you and said, can you imagine what your life would be like if you actually did what it said to do? <laughs> and Jesus said, don't be people who just hear it. Do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> and I'm asking you, will you do this? Years ago, we had three people from a large church in London. I believe it was North Park Community Church come. Three guys who had formed an accountability grouping. They were called a triad, and we established triads. Just these three guys, they got together and they would pray, but their ultimate purpose was accountability. I need you to hold me accountable for godliness. Will you do that? Number three, you choose which of these or all of them for that matter, but I would prefer you to choose one, I suppose. But will you decide now to receive a confrontation when it comes? Will you decide in your heart of hearts, if somebody has enough guts to do this for me, and if I believe it's of God, of course, and if it's right, will you receive it? Will you decide now to receive it if and when it comes? And you better hope it comes, because you're far from perfect, as am I. And number four, here's, a, here's an opportunity to act. Will you confront somebody right now that you know is caught up in sin and needs a gift? They need a Nathan in their life? Will you take the risk of walking up into the life of that person and say, listen, I love you, and I'm gently, as Galatians suggests, and graciously and, and wisely, as Nathan illustrates for us, he didn't just march up to David and said, you're a sinner, you gotta we got we to be led by the Lord in how we do this. But are you willing to become a Nathan? Will you choose to do that right now? Is there someone in your life who needs this ministry from God exercised through you? Four options for us to do something today. You know, First Chronicles 29.10, etc., says that David died, and when he died, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. Let me leave you with this thought. That day that Nathan stood before David, and David was given that opportunity, a decision to make, to repent or to not, he chose his path. He went this way, and he ends up as a great hero of the faith. He could have gone that way, 
And where would life have taken him under the power of sin and his denial of it and his refusal to admit it? I don't know where it would have taken him. I'm just glad he chose the way of God. My friends, in the end of the day, how we make decisions about these things determines the course of our lives. It really does. And I know that's a pretty heavy thing to say. It's a dramatic thing to say even. But it's true. Who here is willing to commit with their whole being to sexual purity, first and foremost? Who here is willing to commit with their whole being their lives to faithfulness and obedience before the Lord Jesus and to do whatever it takes to live in that place? I hope that's you. Let's pray. Lord, we've been given a gift today of this, this chapter in our story. Um, and we've been challenged, as the Word of God often challenges us. And, and, and Lord, we've, we have been warned of the power of sin, but more than that, God, you've, you've given us an understanding of what it means to live faithfully before you. And God, I pray for us all gathered, myself included, that you will just allow us to choose to do something today. And Lord, as we take a moment in silence, um, I pray that you will speak into all of our hearts and that you will let us know what we need to do in response to your word spoken here. So Lord, uh, let us consider the four options and let us, even now, uh, hear your spirit speaking into our lives and, um, and teaching us, leading us into the action step you would wish us to take. Lord, the most remarkable thing about this text is the fact that you love us so much that you won't leave us in sin. You call us into relationship with you and you enable us through the body of Christ, through the working of your Holy Spirit, through the, the power of your word to live a holy life before you in increasing measure. God, I pray that you'll help us to step into that a little more today. Particularly, Lord, for those people who are living that secret sin, I pray that you will so work in their lives that they will move beyond it, confess it, break free from it, Lord. That they might know life and life abundant, life of freedom, not bondage to sin, life of freedom in Jesus. God, we want to be yours. We want to be a holy people. Oh God, how we long to live righteous, holy lives before you. Help us to choose that life, our God. Help us to receive the gift that you've given. Help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray.